Welcome to the Geek Geek Podcast, where summer is in full swing. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. Is that you swinging? I like That's it. That's me swinging. Today, uh, we want to talk about summer, summer stuff, summer games, summer movies. There's a bunch of summer things that are finally coming out. Um, and we've kind of been sampling little bits and pieces of it that we care about, but it felt like we were in that lull before things start releasing again. And now we're getting like the wave of summer stuff. And there's usually another small break. And then we get into fall and then everything seems like it's coming out. Yeah, we're going to get that July burst. And then we're going to be playing this stuff through August and September. And then mid-September, just our wallets are going to start crying. Yeah. Just everything comes out in September. It's crazy. That's how these things work. So... Uh, I know we'll actually like talk about these things, but like we want to talk about Mario Maker 2, um, the new Bloodstained game that just came out that's kind of like Castlevania. There's the new Magic the Gathering core set that I've been playing with. Um, you saw Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man. I've been playing Shadowbringers. I know you bought it, but I don't know if you played it yet. No, I have not touched it at all. <laughs> okay, well, we'll talk about that here in a second. So um, I want to start out with Mario Maker 2, because I know this is one that both of us have been playing. So I've been playing it since it came out, but you just bought it last week, right? I think it was last week that I got it. Yeah, I got it a little bit late, but it was everyone on Twitter talking about it that got me to buy it. Like everyone was having a good time. I couldn't go. I couldn't go a few tweets just scrolling around without seeing someone posting a video of something they had found or something they had made. And it just made me super interested in playing it because I never played the uh, first one, like more than just a few, maybe a level or two at a friend's house, but nothing like not actually sitting down and even knowing what the menus or options were in the game and so so mario maker 2 was completely new to me so when i saw everybody else doing it i was like "Ah, i think i'm gonna buy that and went to uh, walmart and found out that they actually have all of their video games ten dollars cheaper than msrp too that they're all $49.99 instead of $59.99. At least all their switches are um they were talking about that on discord too that uh it's a an across-the-board thing, not just Mario Maker. Weird. Well, that worked out for you, though. Yeah, it really did. It was. It's great that, I, and I'm loving it. Like, so I know you're playing it with your kids. So a lot of it, like, you're not doing it a lot alone, are you? Um. Yeah, I am. But I mean, the kids do a lot of like making levels and. They play some levels, too, but they have a lot of fun making, and I don't do a whole lot of building levels. Like, I'm mostly just in it for playing infinite amounts of Mario and always yeah. having something new to try. So I started by just, like, I I played with the kids. We played together, like, the story mode and beat all of that. You know, you, like, rebuilt the castle, which is just kind of a whatever storytelling device that it goes through. But yep. mostly we just wanted to play the Nintendo designed levels, or I did anyway. And it's interesting to see, like, the Nintendo designers making things within the engine of mario maker 2 because it's like oh yeah anybody could have actually made these levels with the tools at hand yeah and they're those levels are so good like i mean i know they're nintendo made levels but it's it's like the quality is still nintendo quality where you feel like i felt like mario maker when the ones that i played at least were they were they were the Walmart version of Mario Brothers is really what it felt like where you're you're playing it, but it doesn't feel quite right. The ones that I'd played at my friend's house and the ones in Mario Maker 2, the uh, the the normal Nintendo ones. I don't really feel like they're any different than what I would see in a typical Mario game. Yeah, which makes sense. But then, I mean, after that, I beat that within a day or two. Like, I mean, I destroy Mario games. I love Mario games, but I play them really fast because I've been playing them my whole life. And then it's just kind of infinite Mario for me. So I played it pretty seriously, just like hours and hours of just like downloading levels or doing like the infinite Mario runs um, for about a week. And now I'm just kind of, oh, whenever I have some downtime, I'll put in a podcast and I'll just kind of do either the random levels with, you know, the infinite as long as you can last, or I'll go and I'll see what's popular or what's new or just like sort by some random filters and then just pick some to try out. I haven't done the endless yet. I've always gone in through the tabs on the course world and either tried what's new, which I love. I love the newest ones that haven't been played at all. Just as they're uploaded, I really like just going in there because they don't have any comments on them. They don't have ratings. They don't have anything. And it's like I get to see 
firsthand whether or not this is is good or not, and I found some real gems that way uh, because I don't actually tend to like the popular and uh, highest rated ones because they tend to be these weird gimmicky like speedrun levels, and I'm like that's not what I have fun with. So the newest ones I tend to get standard Mario platforming levels whenever I'm playing those, and that's what I really truly enjoy is seeing how people put those together. That's why I do the infinite ones because it takes levels that are just they're not brand new like the ones that you're seeing that have no comments or no anything they're ones that have enough attempts at them that it can tell how difficult they are and that's as far as it goes like you don't get any ones that are super popular when you do infinite you just get ones based on like how many people have completed it after it has a large enough sample size to tell if it's like easy medium hard or super hard or whatever the difficulty is um and then it's just like randomized which is what i have fun with and if you ever hit on one that you don't like or like it feels like it's impossible or you're like this is dumb i'm stuck um you can hold the minus button on the switch and it'll just like use one of your lives to skip it and then you'll just go to the next one so it's kind of like what you're doing where it's just sampling a bunch of random ones but i don't have to go out and hunt for them yeah, I get that. That that makes sense. I'd like I may need to do that because I and one of the reasons that, that I haven't done it is just for sheer. I'm just going around here and looking and picking. I just haven't done the random thing. And I've actually liked making levels, too, that I did not think I was going to like making levels in this because I don't like building games. I mean, that's been my whole thing is I don't like uh, Minecraft. and I don't like other 3D block building games at all. I don't like Terraria. But this one, I like putting together Mario levels, apparently. This one uh, is super fun. I'm not very good at it, but I'm I'm having a lot of fun making the levels. Well, now you need to upload them and tweet them out on the account or put them in the Discord or the Slack for everybody else to try. Okay. They are. They are. They are on there. You can check my Twitter and uh, the Discord. We have a Mario Maker 2 uh, channel on Discord, so uh, you guys can go try it. And we're getting a lot of people posting theirs in there as well. Uh, Ian, especially, Air Troll is doing it, 13th Story, Data Error. I'm just scrolling through here right now um, on who is... Uh, who was submitted on just on the Discord. So I'm excited. I love going through these. Like the community, uh, our friends and uh, listeners and everything. Uh, it's just fantastic. I love it. And so I get on here and 13th Story, he blogs for us. And uh, he's, he's a real life friend of mine. And he made this level called Valley of the Chomps. And this is one of the best Mario Maker levels that I've played. And it's also one of the hardest, but I was determined to get through it. And I got to this, there's a vertical part of it, and I just kept dying over and over and over. I probably died four dozen times on that part. And it took me like 13 minutes to get through the level overall, like just going through and through. And I was just like, normally I would quit. But I know him in real life, and I was like, Bobby Bozeman is not going to beat me. <laughs> and I had to get through there, and like I was frustrated, like Mario frustrated. But when I beat it, it was like, that's the kind of level that I could honestly see in a Mario game. And I'm really amazed at some of the, at the time that a lot of these creators put into that. And it's even better knowing those people, because uh, just playing like data errors, uh, uh, levels where there are, uh, it's a maze using the one-way doors. Just stuff like that, super super cool that's awesome i gotta go sample those because i've played like 30 ish hours of this game and i literally haven't even touched the editor but i love playing levels so i'm gonna go look those up after we're done recording and hopefully play a couple tonight and there's one that i found i've downloaded and i want to know like i don't know if i can share levels that i've found with other people i guess i can take a screenshot of it uh i got i can take a screenshot of its code and y'all can put it in but i need to do that because there's one that i found that is just called jump and it is a tunnel of spike blocks that you have to jump through and it's trickier than it sounds it's not even it's just good and it's my favorite level i found and i i ended up going through to get the world record on this and i had to do it where it was like one and so many other seconds but i did it so i could get the fastest one by eight hundredths of a second i figured out how to get that much faster than the guy who had uh, gotten it before which i had tied over and over again and i was so proud of myself for being able to do that and it means nothing (laughs) But I need to share that one because I really I I tried to get my wife and friend Adam to to play it. And uh, they were just like, this is impossible. And uh, it took me. I found out how to do it by accident. It was not even one of the things I was trying to beat it. Like 
I haven't wanted to get excited about a Mario game like this in a long time. So I like this one. I actually think I may play this one more than like Odyssey. That this one is is so good. Well, I'm glad. I didn't know if you'd end up liking it or not, but obviously the social component is working for you. Um, yeah. I like the tagging too. I mean, I'm not going to linger on Mario much longer because we have a bunch of other things to talk about, but like the tagging is something they added for Mario Maker 2 that wasn't in the first one. Okay. And it's kind of nice. I mean... The downside it's, is that it's Nintendo, so they only did like whatever tags they decided before the game came out. Those are the ones that you can tag things with. But yep. the good thing is, at least there's something there. So I'm finding that I really like speed speed run levels um, because you just kind of have to go nonstop, and I have fun doing that kind of thing. And those are the ones I hate. That the speed run levels are the ones that I tend to avoid, and uh, because they they always have some sort of mechanic that if you ever slow down at all, that you're gonna die, and that that's the kind of thing where I just get annoyed at. Like not even the fun Mario annoyed, but like oh man, this would have been fun if I'd been able to stop on that platform for a second. And I have one question for you on this before we move on to something else. Of the of the styles that you get, the Mario Brothers, the Mario Brothers Three, uh, all of that. What's your favorite one? Like, which one of those do you like seeing and playing through the most? Um, they're all good. They're all fine. I think my favorite is probably the because it's all two D side scrolling. I think my favorite one is the new Super Mario Brothers one. Um, so not the three D world where it has a bunch right. of like unique things, but just the one that's one of the standard four, but the latest one. You okay. know what I mean, See, right? and Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I think it's actually the uh, new Super Mario Brothers U uh, theme that you get for the levels. Yeah, I like the sense. 3D World one the best. Um, I've never played Mario 3D World or 3D Land. Like, neither of those uh, I, have I... Wow, that's a weird way of saying it. Neither of those have I played, and uh, I haven't touched either of them, but I'm going to now. That after playing the 2D levels based on those, it makes me want to play the 3D ones, and I found out that there's Meowser. His name is Meowser, and he's a kitty cat. I didn't know that Bowser was a cat. I knew he could be a cat. I didn't know that Bowser was a cat. And so when I was able to put Meowser in a level, I was like, yep, I'm buying those games and playing those really soon. Yeah, Super Mario 3D World is literally my favorite 3d mario game ever okay and it's that amazing the, that's the wii u and the 3d land is the 3ds right yes okay well i'm glad that we both liked mario maker 2 a lot and like i said i'm kind of surprised that you did but i'm glad that you did um bloodstained ritual of the night is another one that i know i mentioned last week and i've been playing a little bit of did you check this out at all no and the main reason is because it's 40 dollars that if this had been a $25 game, I probably would have picked it up, maybe even $29, but $39, I really was like, I don't want to play it $40 worth. I'm going to have to wait on it to go on sale for the Switch. Yeah, it feels like it could be down 10 or 20 bucks, and that would be probably about right. So I got yeah. it, but I didn't really... It, I got sold on it because I had played that 8-bit version, the Bloodstained Curse of the Moon yep. that they made as like an extra bonus thing. I didn't kickstart it, but you know, I heard oh, about it. Oh, I thought it. you did. No, I wasn't a Kickstarter backer, but that was one that came out and it got a lot of good buzz. So I tried it and I loved that game. So that game, which was, I think it's only like 10 bucks or something. That's what sold yeah. me on this one. And I didn't do a whole lot of research on this and I kind of regret it because Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is basically like... It's Castlevania, which, you know, the Curse of the Moon was also. But Curse of the Moon was like 8-bit Castlevania reimagined mm -hmm. in this new IP, basically. This is like PS2-era Castlevania. And I'm not a huge fan of PS2-era Castlevania. I know that... Was it... It's not Ritual of the Night. It's Symphony of the Night? Is that the one That's that everybody... That's PS1. Well, okay. Yeah. So maybe it's like That's early That's what I'm curious about. Okay, because you said PS2, and the only ones on PS2 that I ever played were the 3D ones. And so that's kind of what I was wondering if uh, you were meaning like Symphony of the Night, uh, because that one is no, the one like that it looks like to me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I didn't know if they were like drawing elements from the 3D ones and putting them in a 2D game like this. So I really was honestly confused. I wasn't being a pedantic jerk where uh, where I was I was wondering. But I thought you liked that. I thought you liked the uh, Symphony of the Night and PS1 Metroidvania games. No. No, I never beat them. I never got very far. And so I'm kind of running into the same stuff in this one where I'm like, oh, it's it's Castlevania and it's OK, but I'm not loving it. 
Like, I don't like mm. it as much as I like other Castlevania or Metroid or games of that genre, basically. So it's okay. But I wanted to talk about it because I know that Symphony of the Night is the one that, like, so many people hold up as their favorite Castlevania game ever. If right. that's true of anybody listening, you should absolutely go get this game because this is like a modern reimagining of it from the same creator in the same style of game, but better, basically. And this one, that's exactly what I want out of it. And I love that level of Metroidvania. I love the reason that that's why we call it a Metroidvania game because of it. And uh, like I got to 199% in Symphony of the Night before uh, Sweet Coden uh, deleted my Symphony save that I'm still bitter about 15, 20 years later. And uh, it's, 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 that's what I wanted because I liked Curse of the Moon, but it wasn't until it went to the Metroid style that I really fell in love with Castlevania games. I played all of the normal platformers through like Super Metroid and all of that when they came out. And I liked them, but they were never the ones that, that just grabbed me. Symphony of the Night was the one that grabbed me like everybody else. And so I was looking forward to this one. I just don't want to pay that much for it okay you should definitely grab it when it goes on sale then yeah when it goes on sale it is definitely mine that i'm also looking because uh if i'm also looking at like gamestop and ebay and stuff because there's a physical release of this one too so i might be able to catch it like that way before i get anything uh, on the nintendo eShop from the nintendo tax oh yeah good call no i think that you'll like this one a lot better than i do i'm still playing it i'm not like done with it but i can definitely tell i'm not going to beat it i'm just gonna play it enough net Till I feel like, okay, I've seen what it has to offer. On to the next thing. Right. Um, speaking of the next thing, <laughs> Magic Arena and <laughs> I, Magic the Gathering also. I, the cards are coming out for Core Set, but I don't think they're officially out yet. We're in this weird pre-release period. Um, Magic the Gathering Arena doesn't deal with any of that. They just say, yeah, the first day before any of the physical cards even come out, it's just fully live in Arena. So right. that's where I've been playing it. And it's probably worth saying what a Core Set is in case somebody doesn't know um it's basically like they take all the core cards and concepts and they relaunch them for the year so not everything that was in core set 19 is in core set 20 but a lot of the standard cards that are kind of like always in magic or there's a version always in magic they they make sure to get those into the mix and then they only ever use like evergreen keywords so they don't introduce any new mechanics or new keywords um, and it tends to be a lot more approachable for new players because of that so they designed the whole set with okay we need a a good base of magic cards for everything to build on and then also we want to make this very approachable for new players um that being said the flip side of it is that there's not as strong of a theme in it and i didn't realize that that would impact me as much as it did i guess i really liked the theme of the other sets that i was Hmm. playing without realizing it until i saw this one which is just kind of general like fantasy themed there's no real thing happening you know there's no new there's obviously no new mechanic like that's part of it nope but also there's no event happening around it it's just kind of Mm-mm. here's a bunch of it's like cards yeah it's just cards it's just like generic magic cards it's um, like playing hearthstone and having the classic packs that are just there these are the foundational cards that you get and everything else kind of rotates in and out that's uh that's kind of how core sets are where i'm used to that i went through a lot of core set releases so that never even crossed my mind of yeah they're not themed they pull from the themed sets a lot of times to pull back in uh, different kinds of mechanics and allowing you to have different kind of combos and and really revisit different styles of play but yeah there's there's not even a story in a core set where they're they might pull from a card from ice age and bring it back into uh to to standard just because oh they actually did that with sarah angel that was a big deal when i was playing was when they finally put sarah angel back in uh and now it's one of the ones that you get when you start playing arena it's just in some of the pre-made you get multiple sarahs and back whenever i was playing i think it might have been eighth edition when they put her back in when they had taken her out for a while and it was right around i think the torment time when that was coming out and uh, i was just super excited because i hadn't been able to play with that card in so long and then uh that's why i like core sets is having played for a long time you start seeing cool cards coming out again that you've been wanting to play with if you're a standard player oh yeah like as they bring them back into rotation yeah i've noticed yeah 
that's kind of interesting. And then also, like you mentioned, they build on the idea of some of the other sets that have come out. So they actually added a bunch of like elementals, which weren't really a big thing until this set. And then they added um, a bunch more dinosaurs too. So I'm kind of tempted to make either an <laughs> elemental or a dinosaur deck, probably not both at the same time. I don't think that would work, but one or the other, they're both tempting me at the moment. But yeah, I mean, as a, as a whole, I wish the theme was stronger, but I understand why it's not. So I think I'm just kind of looking forward to the fall one. That being said, I'm still playing every day. Like I'm still having fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. And they, they rolled out the new mastery system, which I know I kind of talked about the other week that it was coming out, but it's not as compelling as I thought it would be because I didn't understand it fully last time. So it's much more like a season pass, like in Fortnite, which I kind Mm. of understood where you're trying to just level up, right. And get experience to like hit the next level. What I didn't know was that it took away some of the old thinking behind how you could get packs in a week just by like playing and getting some wins and doing whatever. Yep. Um, instead, they tied all the experience to those daily quests. So you kind of have to make sure you get in every third day to clear out those daily quests, which I was doing anyway. But those give you the biggest chunk of experience. The other thing you have to do if you want to get all the experience is you actually have to go in every day and get three wins because those give you oh. experience too. And I kind of hate that because I don't play what, every uh, single day. Yeah, that is what you hated about Hearthstone that pushed you away. Yeah, exactly. So oh, no. the other thing that came out, and this is kind of the, one of those big controversies if you're like big into the community, which I'm not. I'm tangential to it. So like I check the Reddit every once in a while and I see other people getting angry about things. But if you're not in it, it's like whatever. It's not a big deal at all. Um but they because of that, you're basically capped on XP every day. So if you clear out your daily quest and then you clear out your three wins for the day, you can't get any more experience. So there's no way to just keep playing to get more experience to go up the tree and get to the end of it, oh. which means that if you're not playing every single day, there's not a way to get to level 100 by the end of the pass, which is frustrating. Um, and then Wizards got a lot of flack for it, so they came out and they basically said we're going to give you experience in events and we forgot to mention that and also here's a bunch of free experience because sorry we didn't message that well so it's been kind Mm. of an interesting thing to just watch unfold and that's the kind of thing that happens when you're launching a new online service and this is very new for them it's not something they have a lot of experience with and so there are going to be those learning curves there's going to be those hiccups like that so i don't I don't expect them to kowtow to everything that the players want and complain about, but I'm I'm hoping that they change this because the I've heard not just you and not just me, like so many people, even my hairdresser is playing Hearthstone. We were talking about it uh, the last time that I went in there and she asked me if I played this and I was like, yeah, sometimes and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, one of the things that she hates, though, is doing the dailies that make you win over and over again because uh, she can't always get through that because she has a newborn baby. And it's like. Yes, this is the worst. Like, it's universally reviled, and I don't understand why game companies keep forcing that on you, because it pushes people away rather than keeping them in the app longer. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see some big changes between now and when the next set comes out, just based on what they learned from this first season of the past. I think they're getting a lot of very, probably overdramatic feedback, because it's the internet, and that's the way it works. But it's probably, I mean, it's all based in things that I agree with, you know? So I think that wizards has kind of come out and said like sorry we messed up the messaging here we weren't clear about things we didn't think some of this through i wouldn't be surprised at all if this changes by the time the next set comes out with the next season pass but there are some things in there that i like i mean every couple levels if you're on the free tier which i still am i haven't paid for the pass yet um you get something that unlocks like new card packs or new whatever um if you have the battle pass then or the season pass whatever it's called you get something every (laughs) single level um and it's retroactive like fortnite so like i'm unlocking these levels but if I do go buy it later in the season, which I probably will end up doing, um, then I'll just retroactively unlock all of the other things that I would have gotten up to now, which is cool. Okay, so that's good. So you don't have to make the decision at the beginning or basically be uh, be left behind by everything. No, you can make the decision literally on the last day and still get everything you would have, just not at the same time, which is totally okay, fine. Awesome. Yeah. And then the other thing that I'm kind of disappointed in is they said they had technical difficulties rolling out the that like new player experience into the mastery tree for everybody which was supposed to happen so okay you know where you take the orbs and you put them on like the it's basically a sphere grid and you unlock cards and you unlock pre-made decks and all of that kind of stuff like that was what i was most looking forward to that didn't actually launch 
Instead, the only mastery tree in there that you can use those like mastery spheres for is to unlock cosmetic versions of cards, and I just don't mm. find that compelling. No, actually, I kept getting emails about all of these cosmetic cards that I could get in my email, just these codes, and they never... I never cared enough to actually go redeem any of the cosmetics. I went and got any time that there's free cards, I'm going to do that, but just a cosmetic card that I think looks kind of silly, I'm not even going to take the time out of my day unless I'm already there. Yeah, exactly. So I still think that they're going to make some more changes. They said there's going to be experience and events, and then they also said that that, that like new player experience, unlocking those cards, unlocking those pre-made decks, that's going to come later for everybody. So I'm just kind of biding my time because if they do all those things, I want to support it. If they don't and it's just what it is right now, I don't know. I'm kind of take it or leave it. Yeah, I understand that. It's It makes me sad, though, because of how much you love it. Yeah, I'm still liking it. I mean, I still play it like every couple days and I still have a really good time with it. So it's it's fun. You know, I'm not complaining about the fun factor. It's more about it's really interesting to see this company try to roll it out as a, you know, basically their version of a game as a service and just kind of stumble right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And it makes me sad for them because they have such a huge... I don't even know what to say. They have such a huge, I don't want to say it's backlog is what I'm thinking, but they have such a history of doing so well with this card game. And then they hit these stumbling blocks like this because it's so different. And I don't know. I hate it. I hate it for them. I hate it for you because it means you're going to end up playing magic less because you won't go into the card shop every weekend because you have a family. And it's, it's something that this is made for people like you and they're messing it up. Yeah, and like I said, there's still plenty of time to correct it. Like, I would not at all be surprised if it changes a lot before the next pass or the next set comes out. So I'm still playing it. Like, I'll obviously know what's happening. Um, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting was that they announced Historic, which I don't know if I mm-hmm. laid out what that was on the podcast when I mentioned it the other you did. week. Okay. I think so, you did, yeah. Yeah, basically they said that your cards aren't ever going to go away anymore in Magic the Gathering mm-hmm. Arena, and then anything that rotates out, which rotation hasn't happened yet, but it will with the fall set, um, anything that rotates out of standard, you will be able to get to play in this new format called Historic, which is only for Magic the Gathering Arena, for any card that's right. ever been in Arena, which that's kind of interesting too. Hasn't happened yet, but it will soon. And that's something that I probably won't play because I never liked playing Type 1 before, and I don't actually even know what it's called now, uh, but it was the one where you can play any set of Magic ever, and it just gets into a hot mess of cards that you can play with, and things just go haywire, and it it's something that by the time Historic launches in Arena, I probably won't do it either. Like, I don't do it in Hearthstone, where it's like Wild, I think is what it's called there, because I don't like things being that chaotic, I guess is the the word. That's, I don't like things being that chaotic. Yeah, no, I agree. I probably won't, but it's just interesting that they're finding ways to support it, which, again, it's another thing in right. their favor, which I appreciate. So, yeah, that's kind of the core set update for Magic Gathering Arena, and I'm honestly, I'm more excited to get a couple of the physical decks that I ordered, which they're not out yet because it's still in pre-release, but um, I'm getting a bunch of the, I'm getting a set of the Spellslinger decks because my wife said she'd actually try that with me and play that together, so I'm excited to try that out, and then um, we have a bunch of Planeswalker decks coming from the core set also, so my kids and I are excited to try those out, and then either way, I'll get to import those pre-made decks into Arena, and you know how much I love pre-made decks. Yeah, so, and Magic pre-made decks have always been fun to play, so I think y'all have a good time. Yeah, it'll be good. Um, So that was one of the major things in the last couple weeks. The other one that I spent most of my time with, honestly, was Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, which you bought, but have you not played? Mm -mm, Not at all. I never finished out the stuff in uh, in Stormblood to get through it. It's it's sitting there. I bought it. I'm glad that I bought it. I probably should have waited until it went on sale because I thought I was going to get through it in the month before it launched. But I've just been doing other stuff and haven't really wanted to uh, sit on my computer in my uh, office when I'm not actually uh, having to work. (laughs) So this is what I did for a lot of the long holiday weekend. It was really fun like i really like the expansions to final fantasy 14 and every one seems to be better than the last one which is fantastic because it's basically like getting an entire final fantasy game worth of story in an expansion pack yep 
Yeah. And I'm glad this one is good. I've heard nothing but good things about this one. Yeah, it's really good. So the setting is interesting. It's um, it's kind of like the FF14 version of Outland in a way where it's totally separate from everything that's happened before. You get to go to another place that I don't especially want to ruin for you, but um, it's it's a world consumed by light. And I'm not going right. to be spoiler yeah. here. I'm just going to talk about stuff that's obvious from trailers and like pre-release coverage. Um, so yeah, and I know stuff like that because of yeah. the main story in uh, Stormblood, but other people probably don't. Yeah, so if you've watched any of the trailers or whatever, all of this is going to be obvious, but it's a world consumed by light and you have to like bring the darkness back. And it's interesting because you have always like in the main world where you've been up till now, you, you're the warrior of light. And in this world, they have legends about people called the warriors of darkness, people who bring darkness back because the world has been covered in light. And it's really cool. It does a really good job of tying past events and characters in while still being a completely new setting. Um, and it pays off things. I mean, they've always been good at tying back to past expansions, but this pays off things that they set up like five years ago, which is just incredible that they're doing that with a story in an ongoing MMO. Like they have to probably plan multiple expansion packs ahead of time to set up the type of things that they're doing. Yeah, and that kind of planning always blows my mind at the level they have to be doing it for this kind of MMO. Yeah, and I feel like them kind of doing their own version of Outland where it gets away from some of the core stuff you've known, it let them finally, like, there was always, like, politics and their character stories, and they're both interesting enough in different ways, but the characters are what people care about. You know, the politics is, like, something you kind of sometimes have to trudge through to get there. And Always. The word you're looking for is always, (laughs) not sometimes. Not always. Sometimes it was compelling for me. I know you never felt that way yeah. like you're not and a I big like fan. the characters yeah but, like but the characters you're right too. like I, the the politics i could never get into i never cared about this particular world for their politics so you'll probably like this expansion better because it gets away from all of that and so right. it gives them freedom to tell a lot more character stories without worrying about the politics involved with it um but they're really good they're really strong character stories and like I said, expansion by expansion, they just keep getting better at better at writing good, like emotional moments for these characters. Um, and because the politics aren't a huge part of the game, especially like they were in Stormblood, which I know was probably one of the things that pushed you away from it a little bit. They're they're less interesting, but there's also less of them in this. Like they don't play a very big part. Um, and then, like I said, just the threads don't get dropped. Like they keep picking up threads from an expansion pack ago or two or three or from the first game that they rolled out it's just it's crazy um the other thing with the stories that the villains are are much much more sympathetic and understandable and for the most part there's still some that are just pure like okay you're evil i get it but right they're doing a really good job of writing villains that you're like yeah i can kind of see why you did what you did and what you're doing which is those are the best yeah, those are by far the best villains that that any story has. I don't like the pure evil villain who is evil for the sake of being evil. I want the villain who is evil because they think they're doing the right thing. Yeah, and that's what some of these are, especially I'm not going to give it away, but they do a really good job of writing that type of villain for this expansion pack specifically. And you can tell that they did a lot of work leading up to it to make it work, which is impressive, too. Um, The other thing, I mean, gameplay wise, it's still the same game. Uh, Bard, especially, which is my main, is mostly unchanged. There weren't a whole lot of tweaks made to it so not a whole lot to talk about there the one thing i will say is that duties which is another word for the dungeons (laughs) or the trials or the raids like all of them you do them through this like duty finder instead of a group finder it's just the way that ff14 calls it um but they just pull no punches right from the beginning because if you've made it to this expansion pack you've been through so many difficult mechanics in the past because you have to to advance the story that they know they can just make it really interesting and complicated right from the beginning. Yep. And that actually hurt me going back because I wasn't on the top of my game. And when I got into some of the new dungeons in the main story quest, I was just dying left and right. And they were like, it's okay. You just came back. This one's hard. And uh, so it's like muscle memory. Whenever you get back into the groove of things, it just hits and you just go like it's just flow again. Yeah, it's cool. It's fun to go back to. And another thing that's working really well right now is that they actually added a tank class that people care about. They added Gunbreaker, which when you see it at first glance, you're like, oh, that looks like a cool DPS class. And then when you look at it in the game, it's actually a tank. But because they did that with a tank class that people actually are interested in, 
the queue right. times are way lower than they've ever been any time I've played this game before. That's awesome. That's great. So I have a question about the Gunbreaker then. Okay. So what level do you unlock it and how does it, I mean, I know how it levels up obviously, but I know it's one like the Red Mage where it starts at a higher level. So I'm assuming you had to be higher than that level, go do the quest, and then you can start leveling up the Gunbreaker. I don't know. I haven't actually done it yet. Um, I think it's I think it's what you're talking about, though, where it's not a level one. I think it starts at either 60 right. or 70 and then you take it from there. Um, but I have a bunch of friends that are playing it and I've seen tons and tons of tanks in the instances that I've been running that are gunbreakers. So it's obviously right. a popular class. And that was the same way when Ninja and Samurai came out uh, initially as well. They were just everywhere and they, they always tone but take. They always take a little bit of a hit after people realize that may not be the class that they want. But I love whenever I see a new tank class like this, like the uh, uh, Dark Knight, when it came out, it just made everything better for cues for a while. And then people are like, eh, I'm not a tank, which is like what happens with me. So I want to play it, but I know I'm not going to want to go through dungeons with it. Yeah, and I'm at the point now where I beat the main story quest like two days ago. Um, okay. So I beat the expansion as far as like I care for the story, but that means that I got to the end game so I can play a bunch of the dungeons that unlocked. I think there's a trial or maybe, I don't know if there's actually a raid there yet, um, but this is just like I can go back and I can level up a healer, I can level up the gunbreaker. There's a bunch of other things I want to play around with. I don't know if I'm going to commit to them or really play them a ton, but there's still probably another week or two of content here, at least for me, that I'm going to just kind of mess around with a lot more casually before I move on to the next thing. I understand that. that that's kind of the way MMOs work for you, especially this one. And luckily it's designed that way so that when you come back, it's going to be just as wonderful to come back with the new content as it was now. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really good. I'm excited to hear what you think when you get around to it. Yeah, I want to get around to it. It's just, like I said, one of those things where all PC gaming, except for just very small hits of like Overwatch, just to take a break from work, I've not wanted to do at all because it's in the same space that I work. It's at the same desk and everything. And I just don't want to spend any more time in this room than I have to. <laughs> That's why I always split up my work area and my fun computer area because, well, for exact that reason, like I get it. Yeah. I've been there before. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know you have. But okay, so tell me about, I think this is where we're actually getting to like very recent spoilers. So if anyone's looking for a place to pause until you've seen things, I know you just finished Stranger Things 3 because it just came out and you were watching it, what, like half an hour before we recorded? Yeah, roughly. I finished it up. I didn't realize I was finishing it up, but it was a shorter season than I thought it was. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to finish this before we podcast. So for sure it was new. And then we're also going to be talking about Spider-Man uh, Far From Home. So uh you can probably skip a while and get down to our uh, geekery, but we will be talking spoilers for a bit. Yeah. So go for it. Tell me, how was Stranger Things? It was really, really good. I honestly, I mean, I know you don't like Stranger Things. I doubt that you're going to end up going back and powering through any of it. But season three kind of got back on its feet because season two was good, but it dragged a bit that they made the the whole story kind of it's not even drawn out like they took a lot of the the suspense and just tried to up that suspense and it made it more boring in certain parts of it like it felt like it was an episode or two too long last season and so this one doesn't have nearly as much downtime as last season did so with uh, season three they focused in a lot more on characters there's honestly a lot more humor in this season and the show was funny already like the characters are really lovable and the, the season three really just kind of did it right they opened up they uh they opened up a lot of avenues of storytelling. They went back and tied up old loose ends. And uh, it's just they did really, really well. And I'm hoping I'm crossing my fingers that Stranger Things 4, uh, when it comes out, it's supposed to be the the last one, this last season of it. It's supposed to be a full story. So Austin and I were talking this afternoon that we, we really hope that they don't mess the bed and just ruin everything in the in the last one. We're hoping that they can stick the landing because if they do it would be a really really fantastic uh just arc overall and the end of season three made me cry it uh, it was sad 
Like it, it was sad in a couple of different ways, but it really did. It hit me in the feels far more than I would expect for the season leading up to it. Cool. So you liked it, I take it? I did. I really did like it. Um, I'm looking forward to next season for them to go into a different monster because season one, they dealt with the Demogorgon. And then in season two, they brought in the Mind Flayers from D&D. The Mind Flayer was great. Season three still deals with the Mind Flayer. So it was a continuation of that story, which I knew wasn't quite wrapped up, but I thought that they were going to just kind of have it as a background thing to a new monster. And they really haven't gone the monster of the season like some shows do. And uh, so it was it was interesting, but I'm looking forward to seeing how they're approaching next season because there was a stinger at the end where they showed a monster. And I'm hoping that next season also has a, a brand new feel to it that I'm hoping, I know I'm not going to get a beholder as much as I want them to have a beholder as the main, as the main villain in main monster and stranger things. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm really interested to see where they go with it because they even brought in some like slimes and stuff like that, where you would see some of the things like from a gelatin, this cube like you would see this slime like attack people and then go through a grate and it would leave human bones as it went through the grate just sitting there like a skull and a femur so it was like this uh this traditional dungeons and dragons iconic picture that you see in the source books and then uh, but it was in stranger things but it wasn't you know this giant cube of slime it was gross humans who had turned into goo <laughs> okay um that's awesome. I'm glad that you liked it as much as you did. I I don't have much to say because I only saw the first season. I never watched season two, but I do really want to hear about Spider-Man, which I haven't I seen, but I've listened to a couple spoiler casts on already and I read a ton of spoilers. So like you don't have to hold back. I thought you had seen it. No. Am I wrong? No. I thought you went this weekend. No, I thought about it, but I just, I didn't. So I'll probably end up watching it at home in four or six months, whenever that is. Okay, but you had spoilers and things like that. Oh, yeah, I wanted to know what happened. I just didn't need to see it in theaters. Okay, so this is where you guys, if you haven't seen Spider-Man, I'm going to talk specific spoilers this time. uh, Because I thought that Void had seen it and wrote spoilers in the notes. And so they're here now. And if he didn't know, he knows now. So you will too. I spoiled myself because I wanted to know. None of these are. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. All right. So I loved this movie, like love, love, loved it more than I actually thought that I would. It didn't get hit by kind of sequelitis where they were trying to one up Homecoming. And that's kind of what I was afraid they were doing from some of the some of the trailers that you saw. It, there was so it was so bombastic. There was so much going on, so many explosions, so much action that I was afraid they were going to overdo it and move away from the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man in to this uh, almost shieldy actiony Spider-Man and they didn't. They uh, they made sure that all of the villains in action they actually played second fiddle to the characters and the relationships. That all of the the villains and there are these giant elemental monsters and they don't really get a whole lot of attention outside of Peter's perspective of them in relation to how safe his family and friends are going to be. And I loved that. That even Mysterio was seen through the the perspective of all of these high school kids and Peter so that you don't really see the the trickery. You don't see the trickery for a long time, even though you know it's there. I mean, it's Mysterio. You're obviously going to get tricked and you know that he's like pulling a syndrome here that he is absolutely the the bad guy trying to make people think he's a good guy. But because he's coming from the the people's perspective here and not so much the viewers, you don't really have that voice of the viewer voice of the audience in there that it it really was tricky. And so I loved how all of it was tied to character relationships, either between Peter and his friends, Peter and his aunt, Peter and Tony Stark, all of this, the villains were and everything were told in perspective of that story. And I'm glad to see Marvel moving in that direction because this is the end of phase three. So they're uh, having to kind of transition into letting us know what phase four is going to be. It, San Diego Comic-Con is in a couple of weeks now, and we're going to get phase four announcements and trailers and, and lists of movies because Marvel has Hall H this year. So that they're, they're going to get the 
big one this year. We're going to get lots of stuff. So they've transitioned so far into a not so stark and cap centric narrative, which I think is wonderful because they even mentioned it in this story saying like, you know, who's going to be the next Iron Man? Well, nobody can be the next Iron Man. You have to be yourself. And then Peter basically gets all this tech, uh, this Stark tech, makes himself a new suit. And uh, it's, it's actually this really emotional scene with Happy and Happy the character, Happy, Happy Hogan. And it's like they've tied up phase three now they really did what i hoped they would do and so like during the the all of the the stuff when you think mysterio is still a bad guy or still a good guy he uh they talk about in one of the trailers i'm sure you saw that he was talking about the earth we're on now is earth 616 and people went crazy myself included because it's like this isn't Earth 616. This is Earth like 19999. Yeah. And how could this be Earth 616? That's that's not that's that's the comic universe. And that was just a nod because there is no multiverse. That that all of that stuff that we heard about from from Mysterio in the trailers that blew all the fanboys' minds and all of our our was just like all of us were just like, oh no, what did Infinity War and Endgame do? None of it. They didn't do anything like that. It was Mysterio with some projectors doing all of this. And it's like, we should have known that from the beginning. That's kind of what uh, I expected. I'm not surprised, but I'm glad that they went that direction to, like, take people away that they thought it was going to be one thing. And then they yank them back the other direction. Yeah, because as much as they had, had done in endgame to show how specifically the universe would be split it was really interesting to see them say nah we're good we fixed it the the two best things about the movie though were he has this stealth suit that nobody knows and in order to try to keep that uh, nick cage nick cage oh my goodness (laughs) that uh, nick fury gives him man i wish nick cage would have given him the stealth suit uh but uh nick fury gives him the stealth suit and in order not to be seen as Spider-Man, they Ned, his friend, is up in a Ferris wheel, and MJ sees it, and he doesn't want MJ to know that Peter is Spider-Man. And she's like, "Well, who is that?" And he's like, "That's the um, that's that's the Night Monkey." And they start yelling, Night Monkey, Night Monkey, we're up here, save us, Night Monkey, Night Monkey, to let him know that he's there. Apparently, the news got a clip of that and so everyone actually started calling him night monkey like on the european news like on the french or the italian news and so you see him like wear the stealth suit uh on a like across a train because it's the suit that he has and he gets off and lands in front of somebody and she goes night monkey and uh, it's like this joke that runs the entire movie and like Jennifer and I didn't know that this was going on going in. I mean, it's a joke you find out about in the movie and our nephew sent us a voicemail, left her a voicemail that just said, I love you night monkey. And then he hung up and we're like, cause he saw the movie before we did and was so proud of it. And so he was, uh, he just fell in love with the night monkey too. And so that part was great. Um, and then they, you know, they've never talked about his powers. They don't, like call it the spider sense or anything like that. They don't go into all this stuff. Well, they announced it and well announced it. They, they talked about it in this one. They talked about his spider sense and they called it as Peter Tingle. (laughs) Okay. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. And they keep making jokes about his Peter Tingle throughout the entire movie. And they're great. Like them calling it his Peter Tingle is literally the funniest thing just to say and to hear these people say it's like but what about your peter tingle he's like come on peter tingle and like it's just perfect phrasing in this movie and mj finds out that he's spider-man which is always the best thing like i don't like having to keep secret identity secret i want them to have these relationships between the characters that you know are there there's not suspense there for me because of having all of these years i mean i'm sure it's the same with you and any of the other movies uh for comic book characters it's like just let them know we know that they're gonna find out about this and i always uh, prefer when they go that direction and so she found out on her own like that trailer of her uh saying yeah yeah oh you're spider-man she had figured it out but was halfway joking and he's like yeah yeah look i'm spider-man and we found this he's like i gotta go you have to go we're gonna do this and she was like oh god i didn't know i was right and uh it's just it's great and he takes her on a swing like he takes her web swinging 
near the end, and she hates it. She's scared the entire time because <laughs> in the comics, you see MJ and him like swinging along, like just loving life and being together, and she is scared to death, like a normal person would be when you're swinging through New York City on a web. It's uh, it's exactly what it should be, and that's during the after credits. And the last thing, really, I, I think that that I want to say is the very end credits are are so good. They may be some of the best parts of the movie because they start they show that all through the movie Mysterio is using video. There's video projections and things like that that are um making his illusions. So in the at the end of the movie all this video was taken of Mysterio. He took a lot of himself and the very end I think it's one of the stingers where he's like you guys I have to let you know he was like I don't even remember all of the stuff that he said, but the end of it was basically Peter Parker is Spider-Man and he's a menace. He killed me. And then it cuts. And that's like this news thing in Times Square and Peter's look. And it shows a picture of Peter Parker, too. And it's like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? He's like, everything just blew up. What, what, what? And then you see it cut to J. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson. And it's J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson, who played J.J.J. Uh, in the Tobey Maguire trilogy. Oh, that's perfect. So that's like such actually, a good get. Yes, it is so perfect. And he's he's he I just he was at the time the only casting. It's like casting uh, Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier. That's the only person they could have cast. And J.K. Simmons was the same way. Getting him for this one is just the absolute perfect nod to Spider-Man fans because they've done a little bit of that with with the Spider-Verse movie where they talk about him strutting down the street and they show that they acknowledge those movies exist in the Sony uh, whatever the sp- the Sony Spider-Verse and now to just to have that and have J.K. Simmons be in Far From Home and the Spider-Man MCU movies. It's just this like perfect tying everything together. I just the end of that movie just for that is worth going and seeing if you are a, a, a Spider-Man fan from way back. Cool. I'm glad I'll, I really do want to see it. I just haven't made it to the theater and I probably won't. I might. I don't want to yeah. rule out the possibility, but I will see this movie for sure. I do think your kids would like it. This is one that They're just not that caught really up yet. Is. That's one of the reasons that we didn't go see it is that we are I guess I haven't actually talked about this, but I've been watching the uh, the MCU with my kids and okay. we finished phase one and we're into phase two right now. So if they catch oh. up, if they get to the end by the time this is still in theaters, then I'll totally take them to see it. But that's one of those things where it's like, eh, if they get there, then I'll take them. If not, we'll just wait till it comes out at home. Yeah, I totally understand that because this has like major spoilers for everything. Oh, oh, one more thing. I don't know if you've heard about this one. Um, you may have, but you know how we all call it the snap? All the stuff that went on uh, that, that Thanos snapped his fingers and all that stuff. They talked about it all in Endgame. Yeah. Well, normal people didn't know that he snapped his fingers. So they call it the blip that uh, that's just what they know it as because I, and I was like, why would they call it the blip and not the snap? Like everyone's just that's the common uh the way people say is like, oh, yeah, did you get blipped? Like, oh, yeah, he blipped. And it's like, why would you do that? That's weird. And I'm like, why would everybody on Earth know that this extra galactic titan snapped his fingers? It's like, of course, Black Widow and all of them know it. But Aunt May, May Parker, she doesn't know that Thanos snapped his fingers. So they would have to come up with something just as this kind of moniker for everyone to call it. And they came up with blip, which is ridiculous and terrible in all of the best ways. So you get, you've got Night Monkey, the Peter Tingle, and the blip, which is the beginning of a really bad joke that I'm not going to continue telling. <laughs> they walk into a bar, see? Okay, that's probably a good spot to stop talking about Spider-Man for the day. Yep. Um I am excited to see it eventually, though. So we have a little bit of geekery, not a ton this week, because like mostly this whole episode was what we've been doing with geekery. Um, but before that, what's our geeky offer of the week? You guys, we have a Patreon. We haven't been pushing it very hard lately, but we do want to remind you that you can go to patreon.com slash geek to geekcast and you can get all sorts of rewards and support the podcast. You can toss a dollar up to a million and anywhere in between there would be very appreciated. Uh, we have different tiers of rewards from custom Discord roles, uh, Reddit flair for our subreddit, 
to uh, you can even tell us what we want to podcast about. If you want to hear about a certain topic, we have that on there. So uh, you can go check anything out at patreon.com slash geek to geek cast and uh, support the show you love so much because you love us. <laughs> awesome. Uh, on the network this week, uh, of course, geek to two to three and Joe, uh, Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, and sometimes Rob had an episode this week where he talked about marrying a non-geek, which was very interesting to listen to. Um, and then Capsule J streaming Tuesdays from 8 to 11 p.m. Eastern, sometimes on Thursdays and weekends. And then Troidal Power uh, is streaming on Thursdays and sometimes randomly after dinner. Um, the Geekery this week, what did people write about? Uh, we On the Geekery, we have a couple of blogs. Uh, it is Austin's Dragon Quest quest, where he is writing about playing through Dragon Quest VI right now. And the 13th story, uh, Bobby actually goes through and talks about Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Uh, hashtag FE. I don't even know how to say the name of it, but it's the Wii U game that combines Shin Megami Tensei with... Uh, fire emblem and apparently it's fantastic and reading his reviews of it and his articles about it have made me want to play this game even more so you guys can find both of those at geek to geekmediacom slash geekery sweet and you can get some kind of digest right if you subscribe to yeah we do a monthly newsletter uh, that you can subscribe to at geek to geekmediacom slash subscribe and with that you can get updates to any of the blogs and podcasts and shows on the uh, network okay cool uh geekery this week like i said we've been doing lots of summer stuff which is why we wanted to talk about it for the main topic this week um i don't have a whole lot beyond that i probably should recap watching the phase one of the mcu with my kids at some point soon but i can say that for another week um i will say that i kept pushing ahead with the final fantasy 5 four job fiesta but i'm going way slower than i've ever gone before because all these new games came out right at the same time that launched like i wish it had started two weeks earlier because I had time to do it then, and I just haven't. So um, I did get a little bit farther. I have a knight. I have a berserker, which I re-rolled into a mystic knight because I wasn't going to deal with that. Um, and I have ninja. So that's kind of the current status of my four-job fiesta team. I don't even have my fourth class yet. So uh, I can talk more about that once I get back into it, now that I've beaten some of the new games that came out. And so that's not a ridiculous party, though. I mean, with a knight, a mystic knight, and a ninja, you're doing pretty good. It's not like you're a bunch of glass cannons, but you uh, you can do some pretty decent damage and uh, just rely on items to heal a lot. Yeah, and basically uh, you just hit stuff party yeah. of people so far which is fine it's working out yeah i mean and with that you can just hit auto battle and run around and not really have to worry about anything yeah it makes leveling up easy i have not touched the four job fiesta i don't think i'm going to as much as i wanted <laughs> to it it was one of those things where i was really excited to i sat down and played a while and it was like i don't think i'm gonna finish this game and uh so my my little freelancer thief people are just sitting there all sad because i abandoned them Oh, that's okay. It happens some years. Like, I'm sure that there will be a year where I don't actually finish it. There hasn't yet, but I mean, this might be the one just because there's so much else going on right now and other things coming out. Um, But that happens. But what else did you do this week? Uh, So also we had uh, what Jennifer calls a an Aunt Jennifer Day with her nephew, uh, with our nephew, uh, Riley. And he's just about to turn nine and he's reading through all of the Harry Potter books. And so he's read through five and he bought this game. He saved up his money and bought this game called Hogwarts Battle. And it is a deck building game. And he loves this. We sat down and we played this for hours. We got through book three. Uh, because each game goes through, you start with book one to learn how to do it and you build the deck and play the game and defeat the villains. And it's a co-op, uh, deck building game. And then you go into book two and it does the same thing with different locations and different villains and stuff like that. And book three and so on. And it was really fun. Like I like deck building games, especially physical deck building games, uh, where I can sit around and joke with my friends and playing it with Jennifer and Riley was really, really really cool um it can be a 10 hour long game if you play it from one to seven but there are rules to let you you know start in the middle and places uh, how to set everything up that it's really really good have you played that have you and your kids gotten that one or seen it before i haven't played it but i've heard good things about it i haven't really ever talked any 
anybody who played it and disliked it, which is always a good sign. Okay, good. So yeah, it was. It's one of his favorite games, and he plays a lot of kid-oriented board games, and uh, because he doesn't have any video game systems, so it's one where he really, really adores this one with uh, with his parents, and uh, we enjoyed it as well. And so, um, other than that, like you may be able to hear it in the background right now because we got a foster dog. We started fostering a dog, and uh, there, I have to keep my door open. Uh, during, while I'm podcasting because we have this foster dog and we saw her on Facebook and she has heart she was heartworm positive at the local shelter and we just saw her and she's a senior she's uh over seven years old now and she's this big black lab who weighs about 75 pounds and we just saw her face and we were like nope we cannot we we're gonna nurse this this baby back into health. And so we brought her home and she and our dog Leia, they play together and they love each other. And like they're playing right now, like beside me. Instead of doing this in the rest of the house where they could, they're doing it beside my desk where I'm podcasting. But I can't close my door off because the dog, uh, we don't trust Ava, that's her name, but we don't trust her with the cat because they don't interact a lot. But when they do, Bella hates her and Ava growls at her a little bit. And I think it's a playful growl, but we're not taking that chance. So I didn't want to have to like put her in a room by herself or anything while we're podcasting. Uh, but it has altered the way that I have to do things. Like I may not be able to play D&D for a while uh, because of uh, Jennifer's schedule and mine of being here with uh, with the new dog that's heartworm positive. Uh, right now, she's okay. That It's still in the early enough stages that she's still playing around and we don't have to we don't have to like limit her exercise. Um, but for those of you who have never dealt with it, and this is my first time fostering a dog and it's the first time dealing with heartworm, um, which I didn't actually know was worms in their heart. Did you know that? Yes, I knew that. That's why it's called what it's called. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking it was something like ringworm where uh, it's not actually a worm. It's uh, something that looks like that. And I thought it was just kind of something that went on with their heart or was called that. But no, there's worms in her heart. And so you to deal with it, you have to put, uh, put them through a month of antibiotics on doxycycline. And then you have to do months of injections. And after you start doing the injections, you have to limit their exercise because the worms start to disintegrate and they can start going through their bloodstream and they can cause clots and hemorrhaging and all sorts of aneurysms. So we're going to have to really keep her, you know, restrained at that point, probably get a big crate and things like that to be able to put her in um, as much as we hate doing doing that it's like the only way to get her not to like kill herself so uh right now we're trying to let her have as much fun as she can running around uh but we've got probably a good six months of treatment for her uh ahead of us and uh like we're falling in love with her and we're doing everything we can not to foster fail because fostering animals is not a th is not really a pathway to adoption uh for yourself it's helping an animal who needs a home right then and then finding them a home with a family. Um, and then you can do it all over again. And uh, when you keep the animal, it's called foster failing. So <laughs> okay. it's a, we're trying not to foster fail. And it's not a bad thing to have that happen because every every animal foster ends up having it happen at some point. But uh, we're doing our best not to foster fail on the first try um, because we actually saw and we're like and I just saw her and I was I started crying when I saw the picture of her like. I'm I, if y'all haven't noticed, I'm very emotional and I have a I wear my heart on my sleeve. And when I saw this, like I can't let that dog die. And uh, Jennifer was like, yep, we're going to go get that dog today, aren't we? I'm like, we sure are. And so we brought her home, made sure everything was OK. And she didn't react with the animals. And uh, so she's she's really happy now. Like, I am really happy to see the difference in this dog uh, from just getting her a couple of weeks ago uh, and where she is today. Um, she is night and day different from being in the shelter. So uh, I am a huge proponent of uh, fostering and volunteering and helping out at animal shelters and humane society and and rescues and anything that you can do because just seeing the love on this dog's face for having someone to be able to give her a hug because she hadn't been able to have one just melted my heart like this dog has made me cry 
just because she's happy. Like it's it's ridiculous how much I've geeked out on this dog the last couple of weeks. <laughs> That's good though. That's awesome. It's so yeah, good that you guys could do that and make it work and it sounds like it's working out really great. Yeah, working at home is the reason we're able to really do this. Like I'm here for if anything happens, if she needs anything and as the treatment goes on and it becomes a lot more painful and her her I won't say her condition deteriorates, but as she starts feeling the effects of everything, in case there are any complications, I'm going to be able to be right here all day and uh, keep an eye on her. So like I'm we're really in the ideal situation to do something like this. And so we we wanted to like we've been talking about it for a while and finally like everything in our life we talk about it for a while realize what we need and what we want and then when the opportunity comes we just jump at it without thinking about it so uh, (laughs) that's good kind of like you in the house like us in the house and you in the house yep for sure um well i'm glad that we get to hear about the dog for a few months at least or up to six months it sounds like that'll be good yeah it seems Um, like up to christmas maybe okay very cool um that's probably it for this week you guys can write to us with comments suggestions or feedback our email address as always is geek geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on twitter at geek to geekcast we also have longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek to geekcast and we also have great discussions on slack and discord specifically about spider-man far from home and mcu spoilers lately so go to geek to geekmedia.com for invite links and you can hang out with us and nerd out with us there and check out all the other content on the network I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beige. That's Beige with two E's. And you can listen to me even more on the Dragon Quest FM podcast. We've been Void and Beige with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Thwip, 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 thwip. Hey Geeks, this is Capsule J. I'm a streamer on the Geek2Geek Media Network. If you like discovering new games and chatting with cool nerdy folks, be sure to check out my channel on Twitch. You can find it at twitch.tv slash CapsuleJ. That's C-A-P-S-U-L-E-J-A-Y. I stream a blend of indies, retro games, and RPGs most Tuesday nights from 8pm to 11pm Eastern, and occasionally on Thursdays and weekends. Hope to see you then! Hi! My name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek, too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek. Hello friends, this is Troidal Power inviting you to join me over on Twitch most weeknights sometime after dinner. Video games have always been a social hobby for me, with friends and family crammed together on a couch chatting away while someone holds the controller. And thanks to the power of the internet, I've got my own virtual couch over on Twitch where you can kick back and goof off while I play games. Find me on Twitch by searching Troidal Power, that's T-R-O-Y-T-L-E Power, to snag a spot on the couch. Hello, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea. And together we are Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, a podcast all about pop culture. We talk about books, movies, music, basically anything we want at this point. Yes, we obsess about K-pop. And Keanu Reeves. And sometimes Katie cries on the podcast. Hey, that's rude. But really, we are just here to talk about all the things that we love. So make sure to head over to teatimewithkc.com and geek2geekmedia.com to check us out. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our show wherever you download your podcasts. Bye! Bye.